Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. who Jesus is, what's going on with religion. Um, they, don't, they don't know Jesus. And the only difference between me and them is the fact that they don't have Christ in their lives. And so what do you expect an unbeliever to do? I mean, like seriously, when you're looking at unbelievers, it's, it's amazing to me that they go through life and they have any kind of moral foundation at all. Because why would you? If I re- really believed what I've been taught in school, I would be somebody who believed that when I died, I just ceased to exist. I would, I would believe that the only life that I'm ever gonna have is the one that I have right now. The only rewards, the only pleasure that I'm ever going to get is what I'm gonna get right now. Why in the world would I put off pleasure? Why, why in the world would I put off, put off getting things? And if, if I really believed what they told me in school, you know, survival of the fittest, evolution, that kind of stuff. So the smartest, the strongest, the quickest are the ones who win. And so if I'm stronger and smarter than you and quicker than you, I should be able to take your stuff and do what I want with it. And we have whole societies that do this kind of thing. In fact, the reason that democracies fall apart is as soon as a a populace realizes that 51% of the populace can take all the goods and all the money from 49%, they do it. And then the the country or the, the society falls apart. It's happened over and over again in history. And so that's the, that's the nature of people. And so why wouldn't I do that? If I can take your stuff, and this is the only life I've got, if I can take all your stuff, why wouldn't I do that? And uh, again, when I'm looking at unbelievers and they have any kind of morality at all, I'm like, you know, <laughs> well done. Because they don't have a reason to. And when, when they have standards of righteousness, they don't have a reason to have those things. Where would you get a standard of righteousness? And, you know, I, I don't know. Lions don't pray over a, uh, over a dying gazelle. They just eat them. And that's how the whole world goes. You know, it's like, have you ever watched a praying mantis eat another, an, eat, an, eat another bug? They don't care about what the bug's doing. They just chomp on it and, you know, eat all around the edges and just wipe it out. You know, it's like, it's, everything's like that. Fish are like that, birds are like that. I watched, uh, when I was down in Big Bear uh, in the middle of winter, um, they would have these, um, uh, they're kind of duck-like things, we called them mud hens. And one of the things that the, uh, the lake would freeze over and what the mud hens would do is they would just stay there in the lake and let the, let the lake freeze around their feet and they'd be stuck there until the ice melted or until a bald eagle came along and ate them. And so when you, when you looked at the, out at the lake in Big Bear, you would see these areas in the lake where there would be this big circle of feathers 
out there. And I don't know why it was always a circle. I, I have no idea why, but it was always a circle of feathers and up from the ice would be sticking two little stumps. And that's the legs of the mud hen. I, I watched, I, I, had, I had been told at some point that bald eagles don't eat things that are alive. And that's absolutely wrong. I was out on a job one time and I had a builder's level. It's like a, it's like a surveyor's telescope type thing. Had a builder's level and I watched a bald eagle eat a mud hen alive. It's wriggling. And the bald eagle wasn't apologizing. It was just eating. It was just doing what it does. That's nature red in tooth and claw. And that's what I was taught all of the world is all about. And so why wouldn't I be like that? And so again, when I'm looking at unbelievers and I see any kind of righteousness, any kind of morality, I'm like, good on you. <laughs> you, got, you got something that's left over from somewhere at the very least. These people don't know Jesus. And so when they're doing the worst to Jesus, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what's going on here. And I'm saying that to, you know, just to encourage you because there's gonna be times when you're dealing with unbelievers and they do rotten things to you and you're like, oh, you know, it, it just irritates a snot out of you. And what you should be thinking is why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they do this to me? And the fact that they've restrained themselves for this long is actually pretty amazing. I never think of this when I get cut off in traffic, but maybe I'll grow. <laughs> in any case, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. And the reason that Jesus does that is because he's going to the cross and he's going to literally die for the sins of these men who've just taken him and pierced his hands and his feet. Jesus said in Luke 9, 56, for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And in John 3, 17, Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The reason that Jesus came is to save people. He didn't come to judge them. He didn't come, come to condemn them. He came to bring them into heaven. This is something that you need to keep in mind when you're having a hard time in your walk with God. There are gonna be those times when you're not doing well and you're, you're just like, I'm, I'm like anybody else, not doing well. I'm like, Lord, do you really want me? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, and I, I can have those kind of attitudes. And one of the things that you need to realize about the Lord is that he's not trying to keep you out of heaven. He's not sitting there looking at you going, God, I really don't want you. You know, it's like, you need to do a whole lot better because if you're not gonna do better than that, then I, I don't really want you. That is not the Lord's heart. The Lord's heart towards people is that he wants them and he wants all of them. When he gets them all, what happens is he changes their hearts from the inside out and they become, they become awesome, um, but he does want them. Then you have the title of Jesus on the cross. It says, now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And it says, then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And so Latin is the language of the soldiers. Greek is the language of actually the whole Roman culture and specifically the area of Israel. Israel had been under the rule of the Greeks uh, for quite a while before this point. And after the Greeks came the Romans and obviously Hebrew is the language of the Jews. By the way, when you're going through the Bible and you, and you read things like this, 
the, the reason that Pilate did this is so that everybody would know what was happening to Jesus and why it was happening to them, which indicates that people could actually read. And so you, you have some people who come to the Bible thinking that these people are uneducated people. And even when it's talking about situations with Peter where they, where they look at him, they go, he's an uneducated man. They didn't believe that he couldn't read. They believed that he didn't go to the Pharisaical schools or that he hadn't gone to the, the schools of the Sadducees. Um, they knew that he was literate. And so Peter was literate all the people, and he's just a fisherman, um, and all the people of, most of the people of Israel would be literate. By the way, when you're going through First uh, and Second Peter, First and Second Peter are both books that were written by Peter. First Peter has really good Greek because it was written by a Greek guy. Peter was, Peter was dictating to a guy who literally spoke Greek. It was his, it was his number one language, right? In 2 Peter, Peter wrote 2 Peter himself. And so the Greek is a lot rougher. But again, the fact is that Peter wrote it in Greek. And so many of these people were trilingual. And so try doing that. I took, I took Spanish for four years and I can't, remember, I can't remember an eighth of it. And so I get in a situation where I'm talking to, to somebody in Spanish, many times I can understand what they're saying, but I couldn't carry on a conversation with them. And four years, straight A's all the way through. And uh, you know, no way am I bilingual. These guys, many of them were trilingual. In any case, it goes on and says, it says Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and they have a fit about that. Now, when you're going through the gospels, when you're talking about the title that's on the cross, the gospels say slightly different things about the title. And so this is the one that gives you the most information. And so it's Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. In Luke, the title the, that, was, uh, that Luke says was put on the, on the cross is this is the King of the Jews. In Mark, the title that Mark says was put, was put on the cross is the King of the Jews. And in Matthew, the title that, was, that Matthew said was put on the cross is this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Are all those things true? Yeah. What we have in, in John's gospel is a fuller rendition of what Pilate actually put on the cross. And so one gospel writer is saying that he wrote on there the king of the Jews. Another one's saying this is the king of the Jews, effectively exactly the same thing. Another one says that they, they put Jesus's name on there too, Jesus, the king of the Jews. And what John tells you is that what actually was put on there was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That's how you fix contradictions in the Bible. People will come to you and say, that's contradictory. One says this, one says that, one says this, one says that. And what you do with those things, these are four different witnesses. And what you do with these things is you take those things, you put them all together and find out if, if um, each one of those um, renditions of the passage could be true. You're getting, getting it from four different perspectives. And so from two of the gospel writers, um, all they really saw about that, all they wanted to communicate was that the sign on the, on the top of Jesus's cross was the king of the Jews. Another gospel writer wanted to let you know that they put Jesus's name on there. That's Matthew, Jesus, the, the king of the Jews. And then John lets you know that it was Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And that's how you, that's how you put these things together. This is how evidence works. 
if they all said exactly the same thing, what people would be accusing the writers of the gospels of is collusion. You all got together, you got your story straight, you said all exactly the same thing, we don't trust your testimony, you guys are talking too much. And basically that's how testimony goes. In any case, um, what Pilate wrote on there was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The priests have a fit about it and so say in verse 21, do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. And Pilate's just sick of these guys. He, doesn't want to have, he didn't want to have anything to do with the crucifixion of Jesus, probably feeling dirty by, dirtied by the fact that he allowed this stuff to go on, that he allowed them to manipulate him into the situation. And so he writes this on the, the titulus, uh, the, the sign that's on, on the cross. He writes this down and he leaves it there. And he's basically doing a couple of things there. You don't know his heart exactly. He may actually think that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Maybe God's doing something in his heart. That's a possibility. Or maybe he's just doing it to get at the chief priests. Jesus said he's the king of the Jews. That's why you want to kill him. And so that's what I'm writing on that, on that, on the sign. By the way, the sign that would be put on the cross is their, the reason that somebody was being executed. And so to, for the guys on either side of Jesus, it would be a sign that talked about the fact that they were criminals, that they were killers or that they were thieves, probably both in a situation like that. That would be what was on their cross. Jesus was crucified for being the king of the Jews, which is exactly what he was. It's exactly what he is. He's gonna sit on the throne of David and it's the condemnation that's gonna come up against the chief priests and the Pharisees. They're going to be uh, condemned because they've taken the son of David, sent to be their king, and crucified him. I think that God actually planned this whole thing, put it, manipulated Pilate into a situation where Pilate wrote these things because that's the title that the father wanted over his son when he was on the cross, that this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. There is... Um, a passage over in Colossians 2.14 that talks about this same situation, the idea that you would take and put a, a condemnation of the criminal over the top of them when they were on a cross. And in Colossians 2.14, it says that basically the law was nailed to the cross. It says this in the passage, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so when Jesus is dying on the cross, he's, he's literally on the cross dying for the breaking of the, of the Old Testament law that I have done and that you have done. Lawbreaker would be what would be written over Jesus at that point. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches about the death of Jesus on the cross. He took him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, and um, he caused him to become sin so that you who are not righteous could be called the righteousness of God in him. And it's, so the whole gospel is literally about Christ taking, going to the cross and trading places with you and me. And that's why we go to heaven. It's not because we're good or because we go to church or because, you know, because of any of the things that we do. 
Did we just do those things because we're Christians? That's what Christians do, right? And so we're not going to heaven because of that. We're going to heaven because Jesus traded places with us on the cross and he literally took our punishment upon himself. And so all the handwriting of the ordinances, that's talking about the 10 commandments and it's actually not 10, it's 600 and so odd, 600 and I can't remember the number. I'm blanking out. Yeah, 613, thank you. 613 commandments that are against us. 10 of them are major ones that God wrote on tablets with his own finger. And so when you, when you look at the commandments of God that are written in the Old Testament, the reason that they're written down is to show that we cannot live righteously on our own. We fail at those things. That's why there was sacrifices that were made. And Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He took our place on the cross and took away the handwriting again, of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he nailed it to the cross. By the way, there's some things in here that let you know what kind of, what kind of cross Jesus was on. So when you, when you look at the Greek, it's a, the, the term cross is a term that actually means torture stake. And so that's all it really means. And so there's this argument, if you ever talk to a Jehovah's Witness, about what Jesus died on. Did he die on a cross like we think of? And there were a number of different, different types of crosses. And so there was what was called a St. Andrew's cross, which is a big X. And so you'd be crucified like this. And then there was a cross that we generally uh, picture Jesus as being crucified on. And that's, that would be a cross that looked like a T, so to speak. But you also have crosses that look like capital T's or look like minuscule T's. And so a minuscule T would have, uh, have the post going up above the person's head at that point. And so you can tell what kind of cross Jesus was crucified on by some of the passages actually that we have in John here. Um, when Jesus appears to the disciples, he, looks, he says to them, look here, here's the print of the nails in my hand and of the nail in my feet. And he goes, nails two versus nail one. And so his feet were nailed with one nail. His hands were nailed with two. And that lets you know he's not nailed to a torture stake like this with one nail. He's nailed like this with a nail through either hand. And then his feet would have one nail in them. And on top of it, there's a sign above his head. And so that lets you know that the, that the standard cross that we, that we all have, have grown up with is most likely the kind of cross that Jesus died on. In any case, I'm, I'm, I'm going off on everything that I know about this now. <laughs> In any case, they nailed Jesus to the cross. They put the sign above his head. The chief priests have a fit about it. Meanwhile, verse 23 it says, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. If all they'd been doing is dividing his garments just passing it out, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me, there'd be no reason for lots. But we have, what we have is a situation where they divided up his garments, they each got one part. Apparently there was four, some multiple of four, as far as the garments of Jesus. And when they came to the tunic, they were like, this is, this is, 
this is too special, we don't wanna rip it, so let's, let's cast lots. So that the passage out of Psalm 22 could be literally fulfilled, both parts of the sentence. Divided, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. That's how specific the Holy Spirit is when he's speaking prophecy. When God gives prophecy in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, you don't wanna take those things and just say, okay, well, it's just kind of general, you know, kind of, you know, you don't take it literally for what it's saying and that kind of stuff because God is specific when he states these things. How do you do that? And the reason that God can do that is because he knows the end from the beginning. The future is history to God. And so he can tell you exactly what's going to take place and he can write it down a thousand years before the events as he did in Psalm 22, 18. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. The reason that they did them is so that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's why they did them. And so you have God's hand in Jesus's death on the cross. Again, when they divide his garments, they take away his tunic and that lets you know that Jesus died naked. And that's part of the shame that we have here. Jesus in the New Testament is called the second Adam. That's out of 1 Corinthians 15. The first Adam, you remember how God made the first Adam? Did Adam have clothing? Nope, he was naked and he wasn't ashamed till he sinned and then he was ashamed and he made clothing for himself. And when you're talking about the second Adam, the second Adam was naked too. So, and he was shamed by these people so that we could be clothed in righteousness. So the first Adam tries to clothe himself and cover his shame the second Adam takes on the shame so that we can be covered in righteousness. That's a cool thing too. And again, it's a pointer, all of this is a pointer to Psalm 22. And again, it's the hand of God, this whole thing. Then it says, verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Okay, so Jesus is on the cross and he's dying for the sin of the world and he starts taking care of business. And part of the business that he's taking care of is what's gonna happen to his mom. It talks about women that are there and you have uh, these ladies that appeared there with Jesus. And it looks like there's three, but in actuality, it's talking about four women. It says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, that's Mary, and his mother's sister. And then my, my translation has a comma. There are no commas in Greek, in ancient Greek. And his mother's sister, and that may be referring to Mary, the wife of Clopas, but that would be weird because you have two Marys in the same family. How do you do that? You know, it's like, you know, you name your, your eldest daughter, Mary, and then you go, that was a really good name. I think I'll name my second daughter, Mary, too. Not likely, okay, in any culture. And so most likely we're talking about two different people there. And so Mary, um, uh, the mother of Jesus, and then his mother's sister, and then Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And so you have Mary, Jesus's mother. And what's interesting about the fact that she's there at the cross is the fact that it was prophesied by a guy in Luke chapter two.
You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.